0: Father, we thank you, God. We are in your We are in your presence. You said to come boldly before your throne. We might attain faith and grace. Hallelujah, Father. I thank you, God. That we can come. We can be pleasing to you, to your eyes and to your ears, Father. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you that it's a blessed day. We give you all the glory, all the praise. You deserve it. Lord. It's our great pleasure to honor you, Father. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We give you glory. Hallelujah! Thank you. Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody, sit. Amen. Sit with me. It's a great day. It's a good day. It's the day the Lord has made, and we're going to what? We're going to rejoice. And be glad in it. Amen. And why are we rejoicing? Because uh, all of the good things that our good God has done uh, through uh, the great plan of redemption that he's provided for us. Amen. Philippians. And, of course, the context here. Uh, sometimes people want to relegate everything uh, away from natural uh, you know, application and say, well, it's all spiritual. But the uh, whole context here that Paul wrote to the Philippian church would actually uh, financial uh, giving, uh, stewardship in regard to them partnering with him in supporting the gospel. And really to understand the book of Philippians, you have to understand that he wrote them uh, in a very modest way uh, Uh, and was thanking them, the whole book was occasioned over him thanking them for being a partner with him in getting the gospel distributed. In fact, if you turn back to Philippians chapter 1, and a verse that we commonly quote and apply it to a lot of areas, and it does have application to other areas, but specifically, uh, chapter 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. And he believes what God starts, he can finish. And so Paul was writing to them and saying that a good work had begun in them and that it would be uh, continued by the grace of God until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the top of my Bible and summarizing the book of Philippians here says Paul writes a thank you note uh, this is just my uh, the author's uh, not the author's but the uh, you know the translator's uh, comments uh, not per se verse it says Paul writes a thank you note to the believers at Philippi for their help in his hour of need, and he uses the occasion to send along some instruction on Christian unity. Uh, His central thought is simple. Only in Christ are real unity and joy possible. With Christ as your model of humility and service, you can enjoy a oneness of purpose, attitude, goal, and labor. A truth which Paul illustrates from his own life And one the Philippians desperately need to hear. Within their own ranks, fellow workers in the Philippian church were at odds, hindering the work in proclaiming a new life in Christ. Because of this, Paul exhorts the church to stand fast, to be of the same mind. What would that same mind be? Your mind or my mind? Neither one. It would be the mind of Christ. So, should you be thinking like me, or should I be thinking like you? Neither one. We should be thinking like Christ. Amen? And we'll get on the same page if we are. Uh, He said, they were at odds, hindering the work in producing new life in Christ. Because of this, Paul instructs the church to stand fast, to be of the same mind, and to rejoice in the Lord always. Well if you're rejoicing in the Lord alway, you're not complaining. You know complaining and griping and murmuring actually destroy unity right? Some people you just it's impossible to make them happy because they're unhappy. <laughs> Thank you for all your support and amen so I'm feeling the love already this morning. But uh, you, you don't want to be a complainer. You want to move away from being the, the identifier of all the problems and be a person that prays and believes God for, uh, and strengthens unity as opposed to diminishing and making a negative, pessimistic environment. You know, I've told the story about how do you tell the difference between an optimist and a pessimist little boy that was a pessimist, they put him, uh, you know, someone that always saw the negative in a room full of horse manure and a room full of toys and came back an hour later and he's crying because he can't decide which one uh, he wants to play with. Uh, but the little boy that was an optimist, they put him in a room full of horse manure, came back in an hour and he's throwing horse manure in the air and laughing and, and happy and I said, Well, why are you so happy? And he said, Well, he said, with all this manure in here, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. So uh, you know, praise God for people that can see the pony. <laughs> Say, what pastor preach on at church today? See the pony. <laughs> Say it with me, I can see the pony. You know, it takes faith to to see the victory uh, when uh, life has challenges. Can you say amen? So uh, Paul was encouraged to Philippians. I know we've kind of gotten off on a little bit of side journey here, but they help us too. Uh, he said, uh, you know, to be of one mind and to rejoice always. He also said, just hold your place here in Philippians. Philippians 2. Go there. You know, we're talking about uh, complaining and murmuring. Uh, Philippians 2.14, what does this say? Thank you, Miss Joy. Do all things without what? Murmuring or grumbling or complaining. Uh, how many things are excluded there? Do how many things without complaining? All things. So, my question this morning is: When is it right to gripe and complain? Uh, I suppose the answer would be never. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. So, if that was good for the Philippians, it's good for us. Can you say, man? And of course, one of the ways to do that is uh, verse. Uh, chapter 2, same chapter, uh, this is a command. He said, look not every man on his own things. Right? But how many men? Every man? Would that include you and me? Every man should look also on what the things or the matters of others. So who should you be interested in today? (laughs) Woo! We're doing great today, aren't we? Look not every man on his own things, but every... What does love? What does the Bible say about 1 Corinthians 13? Love does what? Seeks not its own. So if you're seeking your opinion, what you think, what you, you know, want, then uh, then, uh, we're in violation of... The, the law of love. How many, how many is glad that Jesus did not seek what he wanted, right? And just live a life of self pers- uh, preservation and of self uh, benefit? What was he willing to do? Well, let's read the rest of it. And we'll find out. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind. Uh, what we were saying earlier, be of the same mind. Which mind is that? Your mind? My mind? Let this same, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're supposed to think the same way Jesus thought. How did Jesus think? What characterized his thinking? Well, the next verse says, and I'm reading out of the King James, and it's a little bit archaic, but it says, "Who." Being in the form of God. Other translations say although being deity and having the attributes of deity. How many knows Jesus is the second person of the Godhead and he is divine? The Bible says although he was divine, the second person of the God, Godhead, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He did not think That his equality with God was something to be eagerly grasped or retained. In other words, he was omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent. Uh, He was omnipotent, all-powerful. But he did not think that he should hang on to that for his own benefit. But was willing to lay aside... Uh, his deity and condescend to be born a human being and put off the attributes of God to become a human being so he could be a sacrificial lamb and die because what brought him out of heaven was not his own interest but his interest for you and me. He said that same attitude or that same mind is to characterize us and that's what brings unity in a church. Say it with me, I have the same mind, the mind of Christ, that Jesus had. So he was not willing to hang on to his privileges or his benefits. He was willing to lay aside personal benefit to become uh, in thought of and desire for uh, you and I to have life. He was willing to lay his down. So the Bible says, and Paul wrote to the Philippian church, and he knows it is great for us as well. Uh, Let this same mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although in the form of God did not think it robbery or something to be grasped or hung on to or taken to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the what? form of a servant, right? And was made in the likeness of men. So how many would believe it would be some condescension for God to lower himself to be the creator to become, uh, you know, uh, the created and actually become human, right? But he didn't blink at that. Uh, this is Christ's likeness, Amen. Uh, If you want to be like Christ, part of it is being a servant and uh, being a blessing to others. Uh, And being found in fashion as a man, he further, I'm adding further, he further humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, we wear crosses all the time. Uh, you know people you see them wear crosses but a cross in those days was not like a cross today Uh, it was the primary uh, application for capital punishment so wearing a cross in that day would be like wearing a hypodermic needle or an electric chair around your neck say well what's that necklace you got well it's an electric chair That's how repulsive a cross was under the Roman government at that time because it was the means whereby people were executed. We count it as a glorious thing because the cross is empty and we put three of them on the interstate or wear it around our neck or, you know, uh, sing songs about three crosses or whatever, and it doesn't have the stigma. That it had then. But then it was not a sign of uh, popularity or that was displayed. It was a repulsive thing. It was a reproachful thing. It was a place of weakness. It was identified with the lowest criminal. uh, You know. And the baddest of the bad. And the worst of the worst. It was capital punishment. Right? But he humbled himself. Became obedient to the death of the cross. So this is... Rejection. This is identification with whatever it took for us to uh, have life. Wherefore, because he was willing to humble himself, God also has highly exalted him. Can you say amen? And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, uh, other translations say beings and beings under the earth. And he knows that demons are subject to the name of Jesus. You know that's why we confess Jesus as Lord, right? Because He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and there is none besides Him or like Him. And He occupies the sole apex and the highest authority in the universe. But he also was willing and did humble himself to the lowest place prior to being exalted to the highest place. Is Jesus humble? The Bible said, he said to us, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me. I'll give you rest. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden light. He said, I'm meek and lowly. Can you say amen? So humility is not meekness, is not weakness. Amen. What is humility? It means us being nothing so that God can be everything. But when God is everything, we're at our strongest. Can you say man? We're at our most usefulest. Can you say amen? And so Jesus In humility became, did you see, obedience? It takes humility to obey. Can you say amen? Pride is rebellious and disobeys. Humility is obedient and obeys. Amen? And humility is not weakness. Humility is a strength. It takes more strength to humble yourself than it does to... Exalt yourself. And this is just the opposite of the nature of Satan. Because if you go back and look at Satan. Satan wanted to promote himself. He said, I want to exalt my throne. Right? Above, you know, all others. I want to, you know, be the highest. I want to be worshipped. I want to be uh, titled. I want to have privileges. I want to be over everybody. Well, love don't want to be over or to be self-entitled. Love wants to serve and be a blessing to other people. Can you say man? And so, uh, you know, that preserves unity. When people want to serve one another and lay down their life for one another, then unity is preserved. When people want to complain and murmur, express their opinion and put themselves in a position of knowing more or whatever, uh, you know, being more important or whatever, then it destroys unity. Amen? And so if we're being led by the Spirit of God, we're going to be led to walk in the same path that the Lord Jesus walked in. Can you say amen? Amen. I didn't mean to preach on this this morning, but I'm not going to take it back. Uh, So he said, uh, you know, Jesus humbled himself, then he was exalted, and God promoted him, exalted him, uh, that every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things or beings in earth and beings under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord To the glory of God the Father. Hopefully your confession is this morning Jesus is Lord in my life. And that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 10. It says, with the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made uh, unto salvation. And it says, if you'll believe in your heart that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, Well, if you believe God raised Jesus from the dead, you believe also that he died for your sins and that your sin penalty had been satisfied in him and God did not raise him from the dead until that had been uh, executed or fulfilled and those sins had been canceled out and redemption has been successful. If it hadn't been successful, he wouldn't be raised. Can you say amen? The Bible says in Romans also that he died for our sins, for our transgressions, but he was raised for our justification or righteousness. So the very fact that he was raised from the dead meant that his sacrifice had been accepted by God and that the eternal justice had been satisfied of all broken law and of all sins of all humanity for all times. So when he rose from the dead, it was a triumphal uh, action by the power of God that our redemption had been completed and our righteousness was secure. And the very fact that he was raised from the dead and made alive and then accepted back into heaven means, you know, he was already accepted. Uh, you know uh, what he did. He did for the human race. Uh, the very fact that the Father said, "Open the gates of uh, of righteousness," and the Son, uh, you know, will come in. The King of Glory will come in. Meant that you and I also. He's our representative and was acting in our place. Uh, that you and I are as accepted as he is accepted. Say, I'm accepted. I am made righteous through the blood of Jesus through his death, all my sins have been canceled. I declare him the Lord of death, hell, and the grave, and the Lord of my life. He is my personal Savior and my personal Lord." Now, if you were out of fellowship with God or never have received Christ Jesus, you are now born again at that belief in that confession. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And it said... That uh, you don't have to go down to the abyss to bring Christ up or go up to heaven to bring Christ down. It's not works that man has to do. It says the word of faith is near you even in your mouth that if you will confess and believe, you will be saved. By a simple belief and a simple confession in what Christ has done, we enter into the benefits and the glory of what that provided by grace. You know, it's pretty easy to get saved. (laughs) Can you say man? Because Jesus did the works, and we just receive by grace what he did. Amen? Somebody said God's grace and accompanying righteousness is God's eager desire in his great love to treat us as though sin had never been. Because God sees you and I righteous today, and in seeing us righteous, He sees us in Christ. Have you noticed we look a whole lot better in Christ than we look out of Him? And that's what baptism is all about. We were in Him when He died, and we were in Him when He was raised from the dead, We identify, baptism as identification with him and union with him. You know, to understand redemption, you have to understand about three words. You have to understand substitution and what a substitute is. How many knows what a substitute is? Substitute is a sacrifice, someone that takes the place of another. Jesus was our substitute. But Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. I mean, it was so real to Paul that he was saying, I was there when he was there. His death was my death. That's the way God sees you and I. How many knows that when uh, Christ, back to substitution, identification, and union, union means to be made one with. How many Uh, You know, I see these old stools and benches we built out of the plumbing uh, fittings. How many knows what a union is? A union is a piece of uh, plumbing hardware that makes two one. What does uni or union mean? It means to be made one. A unicycle is uh, not a, it's got one wheel, Right? You know, the United States of America, although we're separate states, are incorporated into one union. How many knows if the United States goes to war, Arkansas goes to war? Because Arkansas is part of the union. Right? It's the same thing, uh, you know... uh, in, in aspect of spiritual. the Bible says that when we get born again and accept Christ as our Savior, that the Holy Spirit places us into the body of Christ. Now we're in Him or in union with Him. All of us are one. We're many members. I've got a body this morning. You got a body this morning, right? And your body has members. It's got a liver and a stomach and lungs and a heart, right? And intestines. Which one of those is most important? They are made to mutually complement each other and one cannot do without the other. I had a lady one time ask me, and I've used this illustration before, there was two ministries. One of them was very evangelistic. The other was very prophetic. And she said to me, she was not born again. She was my supervisor. Uh, I worked at an apartment complex when I was going to Bible school. And she had occasionally asked me things about spiritual questions. And, uh, and so she asked me one day, she said, which one of those two ministries do you like best? And I thought, well, I like these guys and I like this guy. And I said, uh, I think uh, both of them. And she said again, she said, uh, no, she said, you got to like one of them better than you do the other. She said, which one do you like best? And I thought, well, I think I like both of them. So I said, uh, uh, both of them are important. I like both of them. She said, no, she said, you've got to like one of them better. And so finally, the Lord gave me wisdom. And so I said to her, I said, well, what what do you like better? Do you like your lungs better or your heart better? (laughs) And she said, I guess I need them both. And so I said to her, I said, that's right. I said, it's not a matter of one being better than another. And see, this was another thing that destroyed unity that Paul wrote in Corinthians. You know, some say I'm a Paul some say I'm of Apollos. Some say I'm of Cephas. Well, we're better because we're a Paul or we're better because we're uh, of uh, this group or that group. Right? And uh, he said, uh, he said you're, you're making too much of men. It should be about Jesus, not about which camp you're from. Right? Which is better, the Baptist or the Methodist or the Catholics or the Lutherans? It's family. There's not going to be a Presbyterian, uh, you know, uh, section of heaven. There's not going to be an Episcopalian hamlet in heaven. (laughs) You know, even down here on earth, we, we segregate. There's Chinatown, and there's this, you know, this is the Bronx, and this has this kind of people, and this has this kind of people. There's not going to be any segregation in heaven. Amen? It's not a matter of which church you belong to. It's a matter of which family you're in. And the only way you can get in the family is to be born into it. So I said to her, I said, well, you know, uh, I said to her, I said, well, you know, I like both of them. And she said, no, you can't like them. So I said, well, which one do you like best, your heart or your lungs? And she said, well, I need them both. And so I, I said to her, it's not a matter of uh, one being better than another. It's a matter of them being different from one another. Right? Your heart is different from your lungs, but they are tempered or placed together in one body. And see, when God uh, saved us, He put us into or placed us into a spiritual body called the body of Christ. And you know, the, the, the lungs are going to be different from the heart, but they're both necessary. I'm different from merit. Merit's different from me, right? Lucy's different from Stuart. Stuart's different from Lucy, right? We're different from one another. But that didn't mean any of us are better for than another. There's not some more importance and less importance or big I's or little U's. We're all put together, and the Bible says we have a mutual dependency upon one another. And when I get put into the body, I lose my right right to live individualistic. (laughs) My my spleen don't jump out of my body and say, I don't want to be a part of y'all anymore. I'm out here doing my own thing. Well, what's going to happen if the spleen's out there doing its own thing? Well, it's not getting any blood supply from the heart. And it's going to end up dying. You want to be part of what the Lord where the Lord has placed you. And again, when it gets down to this, you know, like sometimes we tell, we tell our kids and thank God, you know, there's a certain amount of truth to it, but we say to our kids you can be anything you want to be. You can be an astronaut you can be, uh, uh, you know, uh, a neurosurgeon, you can be an airline pilot, you can be uh, you know, whatever, you know, you can be anything you want to be. Well, that's true in a sense, and we need to encourage our kids. but you can't be anything you want to be in one sense. Uh, it's already predecided and predetermined, and it's not a matter of you deciding what you want to be. It's a matter of you discovering what you are, created by God to be. And it should be that way about where you go to church and where you attend. Jesus is going to have something to say about what part of the body, we recognize all the body, but what part of the body where you're supposed to be. If you're not supposed to be a part of this church family, we don't want you here. (laughs) Right? We want you to be where God wants you to be. Because I'm not the head of the church, neither are you. But at the same time, if you're supposed to be, you're not supposed to say, well, let's see what that church, what they do, what they don't do. I'm going to decide where I go. Well, it's not a matter of of you deciding. It's a matter of you discovering where the Lord's placed you. Does that make sense? You're supposed to find out from the Lord if you're supposed to be there. And where he's placed you, and if you're placed where the Lord's supposed to have placed you, then one way you can tell if you got the right placement is you'll get a supply of the spirit and you will be a supply of the spirit. Right? I, I know my elbow on my right arm. If it's in the right place, it gets a supply of the Spirit from what's above it, but it also brings a supply of the Spirit to what's below it. Yes. Yes. Right? But how many knows if you take my elbow out, and, or say you cut my hand off and sew it down on my ankle, and, uh, you know, uh, you've got your feet where your hands are supposed to be and your hands where your feet are supposed to be, then it's not going to work out very good. Right? say the Lord has placed the members where it pleases Him so who does the calling on that you discover you don't decide if you're in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ well once you get placed where you are uh, you're a mutual contributory part of a whole unit. You're not the Lone Ranger. <laughs> Are you still here? You know, a lot of times people talk about being part of a church family and part of a, a church. Uh, you know, so, well, I just, I, you know, it's not necessary for me to go to church to serve God. God ordained pastoral gifts. God ordained the local church. And you need to be part of what God has ordained. He said not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There are some things you won't get any other way than being part of a church family. Can you say amen? amen? And, you know, our society is has a lot of broken families, a lot of... Of you know blended situations and and you know all kinds of things and and unity is really challenged both in uh, you know in in families at large in family units in churches and things like that because the enemy tries to work on people to be so individualistic or just be so focused on themselves we're a team can you say man? And we're to be a blessing to one another. And then that means preserving and taking the personal responsibility to uh, not allow pride, uh, you know, to come in or, or selfishness to come in. That would destroy our unity. <sighs> Can you say amen? So he goes on and says, uh, uh, this was the attitude that was in Jesus. Amen? And that we were to do all things how? Without murmuring and disputing. Amen. Say it with me I'm not a murmurer. I'm not a complainer. I'm not grouchy. I'm not always looking for what's wrong. I'm a prayer, I'm a lover. I'm a unity preserver, I'm a helper, I'm a strengthener, I'm an edifier, I'm a blesser of others. Praise God. So anyway, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi about this uh, for them to, uh, to think like Jesus thought. Can you say Amen and uh and so uh anyway uh he told them that in verse 6 where we were before uh he said be being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day that Jesus comes back amen so In one sense, that includes a number of things, but specifically, Paul was writing a thank you note about the good work or the grace of God that was working in them to help them forward the gospel. So they had started uh, helping him get the gospel out, and he said that good work that the Lord has used you to do, he's going to continue that. Now go to chapter (laughs) 4. Praise the Lord. Chapter 4. You can tell this was the theme of the book because he ends with a whole chapter uh, regarded or in uh, relation to it. Amen? Uh, So he started the book this way, now he's ending the book. Uh, He said, uh, verse 9, he said, uh, well, this is all so good. We'll just start at verse 1. Philippians 4, 1. I said, well, I don't think you should read that much of a text. Well, we could back up to one one. do <laughs> <laughs> Don't complain or murmur, okay? We're going to read this without complaining and murmuring. Uh, you know, I don't think that any of us have read too much of the Bible this week, okay? <laughs> And, you know, what God says is more important than what I say or what you say. Amen? So chapter 4, verse 1, he says, therefore, and of course, if you really want to know what there is for, you need to back up and go further back. But we're not going to do that today. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved. Say it with me, I'm dearly beloved. Beloved. He said, and longed for. Paul's heart was in these folks. He said, you're my joy and crown. Paul had, these people had come into their life with Christ through Paul's ministry. He said, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And then he specifically addresses two individuals in the church that was having trouble getting along with one another. He said, I beseech you, Odious, and I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So he just outread, spoke their names in the epistle. That'd be like me getting up this morning and saying, uh, you know, John, you, and Harry, y'all get it together. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Y'all don't want me to go that far, do you? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Good. Let's keep moving in. He said, I beseech you odious and beseech Syntyche that they may be of the same mind in the Lord. And he said, I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other of my fellow labors whose names are in the book of life. I mean, he's glad your name's in the book of life this morning. Say it with me. My name... Is in the book of life. Hallelujah. You know, it doesn't again matter what church role your name is on. What matters is, is your name in the book of life? It doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. What matters is what family you're in. You know, you could have any kind of label on a can, right? I know when I was in college, uh, you know, I was on a limited budget. And so we went to a grocery store right nearby, me and my roommates did. And a lot of times they would have a bargain bin. They'd have a cart there that had a bunch of cans that had the labels off of them. And so it was always fun. we would shake cans to try to figure out what was in them. (laughs) Right? Well, that sounds like kidney beans or no nah, that's whole kernel of corn we got pretty good at guessing you know what was in the can you know i think i'd like to do that with some christians sometimes i just like to get them and like <laughs> what is in this can <laughs> is it a bunch of murmuring griping, complaining and you know or is it is it full of love and and, uh, you know, edification, and you know what I mean? <sighs> anyway, we're not going to shake anybody this morning. <laughs> uh, but we would shake cans, but, uh, you know, it didn't matter necessarily what label is on a can. What matters is the contents in the can. Can you say, man? So he said, uh, Our names are written in the book of life, and thank God they are. Verse four, what does he say, do? Rejoice in the Lord every once in a while. Uh, Are we hearers or are we doers of the Word of God? We're doers, so when do we rejoice? We're not fair weather rejoicers. Well, I feel like rejoicing today. I feel like singing today. I feel like going to church today. I feel like serving. I feel like ministering today. I feel like praying today. What you feel like don't really matter a hill of beans or nothing in life. If you're going to be somebody with some stability and somebody that's established, you have to be in control of your feelings, not your feelings in control of you. well, i don't feel very spiritual today well. You don't have to feel spiritual to be spiritual. I could say, well, I feel like a million bucks, but all I got's a quarter in my pocket. How many would rather have a million bucks in the bank, which I don't, if you're wondering. <laughs> but there's a there's little in there, praise God. <laughs> so, you know, would I rather feel like a million bucks or actually have a million bucks? I'd rather have it and not necessarily feel like it, right, than feel like it and not have it. So I'd rather know I'm righteous and know I'm born again and know I've got the victory and know that all my needs are supplied and know that greater is he that's in me than feeling like it. I might get up some morning and not feel like greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, and that I'm more than a conqueror that day. Well, that's where faith comes in. I open my mouth and say, I don't care how I feel. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't care if I feel unforgiven. Even if I messed up, I confess my sins, and I am forgiven. And I walk by faith and not by feelings. And I walk by faith and not by sight. And that's what makes mature Christians because they're not deterred by their emotions or by their feelings. They do the will of God no matter how they feel or how their emotions are. They're not unstable up and down. roller coaster Christian one day and roller coaster Christians the next day. They're just going to be as stable as the Word of God is because the written word reveals the living word. And the living word is Christ. And Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we build the foundation of our life on the word of God, we're going to be stable and the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, like stability. Is there not enough instability in the world that we have to be part of the instability of the world? <laughs> do we have to be tossed about the Bible says don't be tossed about by every wind of doctrine can you say amen well you know something may be politically correct this year and not politically correct next year I'm not concerned about being politically correct I'm concerned about being scripturally correct and the scriptures don't change If it's godly then, it's godly now. If it's light then, it's light now. If it was dark and sin, it's still dark and sin. And I don't have to come up with my own set of truth. Well, people say, I've got to stick with what I think is the truth. No, you don't have truth and I don't have truth. The Bible says God's word is truth. And so that's the only thing that's going to put us over. And cause us to live victorious. Can you say amen? Is this all right today? Uh, He said, Rejoice in the Lord when? When you feel like it, right? Rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. And again, he said, I say, Rejoice. Praise God. Sit with me. I rejoice all the time. No matter what circumstances are, I'm a rejoicer. Now, what are the circumstances that Paul is writing this instruction to the Philippian church? Where is he at? He's in prison. How he knows that the prison's in, didn't have the amenities and the commodities that modern prisons do. It's dirt, it's coal, it's probably mud, right? No plumbing. Are you still here? And yet Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Remember Joseph in Genesis, the baker and the butler was in prison, and Joseph comes in, he's been taken to a foreign country, sold as a slave, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, imprisoned in a foreign land, and so he bounces in and says, why are you guys so down today? I'm sure they could say, well, does this stinking, rotten dungeon we're in have anything to do with maybe why we're down today? <laughs> Apparently, Joseph still had a good attitude and still had joy in circumstances that were not ideal. The Bible said that many fell in the wilderness. We were talking about unbelief last week because they murmured. Well, just because you're in the desert don't mean you have to murmur. Amen? Say it with me. Nothing can steal my joy. Nothing can get me down or make me wear a frown. I'm a rejoicer. I count it all joy. No matter what, I'm full of joy and got the victory. Ha, ha, ha. Now that's the way to get out of it instead of stay in it. Can you say amen? <laughs> Whoo, we're making progress today. So when do you and I rejoice? So when does that leave time for Verse 2 of chapter 14, uh, do how many things without murmuring? Well, one way to do all things without murmuring is to always rejoice. If you're always rejoicing, then it displaces murmuring and complaining. So, well, Brother Tim, I really don't complain you know i just kind of notice and say you know you know sometimes you know but taxes are high and groceries are you know have increased and and uh, uh, the political scene of our nation is messed up and i don't like this and the traffic is bad on the freeway and my mattress does make my back hurt and there's a lot of crazy drivers out there. And my wife burned a bacon this morning. And the kids—they leave stuff out all the time. And uh, I'm overworked and underpaid. And uh, but I don't murmur <laughs> or complain. <laughs> Let me tell you, cream always rises to the top. <laughs> Can you say, man? And you don't have to be negative. Say it with me. I don't have to be negative. I can live positive. I can live by faith in a negative world. Amen? You know, I don't feel like everybody's hooked up real good and strong this morning. But uh, nevertheless, it's the truth. Can you say man? Set with me, I rejoice all the time. <sighs> Praise God. Now, you know, this is good for me. I know, you know, uh, there's times that I'm tempted to be negative too and have yielded to that. But uh, we don't have to. Can you say, man? Uh, verse 5 let your moderation, uh, the margin, Of my Bible says for moderation, uh, says, let your gentleness. One translation says, let your sweet reasonableness be known to what? All men. Does everybody know you as a sweet and a reasonable person? I didn't hear any amens that time. Let your sweet reasonableness be known to all men. Say it with me I'm sweet and I'm reasonable. I'm not hard, harsh, and unreasonable. I'm easy to get along with. (laughs) Boy, Heidi. Let your sweet reasonableness be known to everybody. Uh, the Lord is at hand. In other words, Jesus is coming back, and could at any minute. And you don't want to him come back with you being uh, unreasonable, and uh, contentious, and unsweet. Are you still here? Uh, that wouldn't be nice for him to show up, and you be giving everybody a piece of your mind. And if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, and hi, Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Praise the Lord. Uh, Verse 6, be full of care or anxiety about what? Nothing. So when is it right to worry? Never. What you going to do if you don't worry? Well, the rest of the verse tell you. It says, be careful for nothing, but, so don't worry, but in what? Everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So, this verse is basically saying, don't worry, do pray. So, what if you spend all the time you were worrying about something, praying about it? You think that that could help the situation more? I'll guarantee it'll help the situation more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and uh, he said to pray with thanksgiving. That means you are given thanks in advance by faith that God is helping you and working the situation out. He said if you do that, the peace of God that passes all understanding, you don't understand how that everything's going to get taken care of, but you're in peace about it, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brother. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So he tells us what to be thinking on. So you just can't help what you think on. Well, that's saying you can't obey Philippians four eight. We can change the channel of what we think on just like you can change the channel of your television with a remote. It may not always be easy, but you can. It's your mind you can think on what the Word of God says think on. He said those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do... And the God of peace will be with you. Now we're up to our given text again. Okay? Amen. How many knows it's just good to get it straight off the page sometimes? Praise God. He said, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Uh, apparently they had done things for him before. He said, wherein you were also careful or desirous, but you lacked opportunity. He said, not that I speak in respect of want. He said, it's not about me uh, needing something. Amen. Amen. He said, for I have learned. He, he didn't say it came natural, but he said he learned it. Whatever state I am, to be content. So he's in prison right now, but he's content. Circumstances are not like he wants them to be, but it doesn't affect his relationship with God or his fruitfulness or productivity in life. Are you still here? He's learned to be content no matter what goes on because contentment is not about what you have in life. Contentment about is who you know and your fellowship with the one you know in life, which is the Father and with the Son. So if I've got God, I can be content. Can you say amen? No matter what my circumstances are. Now that doesn't mean I should resign myself to negative circumstances or to a low vision and believe that, well, nothing's going on, nothing ever will, or, you know, this is a need in my life, and so I'm just not, you know, going to believe God. You can believe God for His, uh, uh, you know, uh, help and His answers and His healing and His blessings in life and, and be content before and while it's being happening. Amen? So he said in verse 12, I know both how to be abased or to do without and I know how to abound or have more than enough. He said, I've experienced both. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed he said, sometimes he said, I'm full, other times I don't have full. He said, other, one times I abound, sometimes I'm not abounding. He said, no matter what the circumstances are, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, God's grace is sufficient to get me through every situation, no matter what the situation is. He said, notwithstanding, he said, nevertheless, you've well done that you did communicate with my lack or affliction. And communicate means not talk about, but to give or to impart or to partner with or share uh, with my affliction. He said, it's good. He said, doesn't matter. He said, it's not about a need that I have, but he said, it is a good thing that you communicated. He said, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. So other churches could have gotten involved, but they didn't. He said here, no other church did when I departed from Macedonia. No church communicated with me as concerning what? Giving. Did he stop there? Giving and receiving. These two are linked together. If you give, the Bible says that there is a seed that's planted that will cause a harvest or a receiving to come about. So he said, communicated with me concerning giving and receiving. Giving goes first, but receiving is connected with it. But you only. For in Thessalonica, he said, you sent once and again unto my necessity. He said, not because I want something or desire a gift, but he said, I want or desire fruit that may abound to your account. Say account. The Bible says we lay up treasures in heaven. There is an account that we are making deposits into when we give concerning the kingdom of God. And the Bible says we lay up uh, a sure foundation uh, by giving here in this time. He said, not that I desire gift or I desire fruit that may abound to your account, but I have all. He said, in other words, your gift got here. And I'm abounding. I've got more than enough. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell. This is something that was very fragrant as far as its spiritual, uh, you know, perception an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable. Right? Well-pleasing to God. I believe our giving is well-pleasing, acceptable, and an odor of a sweet smell. Then he told them, because they had partnered with him and they were involved in giving and receiving, he said, this is what God will do for you. He said, my God shall supply half of, a third of, a little bit of. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches. How many knows God's rich? According to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Say that with me. My God... Shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Glory to God. That's a wonderful promise. And then on the backside of it, he says, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He goes on and says, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me, greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Uh, He's in prison, I guess, at Rome this time. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So be it. Amen. Praise the Lord. (coughs) Did you get something out of this today? glory to God. You know, sometimes it's just good to get the context and just get a whole overall lifestyle of what we're supposed to be living instead of just topical preaching. You know, verse by verse, expository, you know, kind of carries the whole spirit of what he's desiring to achieve. I'm not saying it needs to be all the time like that. Thank God for topical preaching, but it's good to get verse to verse sometimes because you get the big picture And, you know, it wouldn't hurt that we read longer passages in church. You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, till I come, give attention to reading. So apparently they read portions of the Scripture. And, of course, in the Jewish culture, they read the law or the scroll. And it's not just about what the minister's saying. It's about what God's saying about what's been saying. And it's about the context speaking to you personally and individually. Are y'all doing all right this morning? Can y'all rejoice in the Lord always? Amen. Are y'all, y'all rejoice? Are y'all the kind of Christians that rejoice during the offering as well as other parts of the service? What, what kind of giver did the Lord say that He liked a cheerful giver, so this is not a place to, you know, not be happy. <laughs> Boy. This has kind of been different this morning. I had a nice baptismal sermon uh, ready, but praise God. Father, we do rejoice. We rejoice this morning because we have the privilege to give. And we rejoice, Lord God, because you're faithful and supply all of our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father God, that we don't have to be anxious, that we don't have to worry, that we don't have to be unreasonable, that we can have uh, a sweet attitude and be a blessing, uh, promote unity, walk in love, and achieve great things as you, uh, Father God, help us. Lord, we bless every person here this morning, every gift that's sown. We thank you that uh, not only are we, uh, Father God, Uh, cooperating with you, but we're also recipients of your goodness. We call all of our needs supplied. We call every bit of lack bound in Jesus' name. And we thank you for abundance, loosed, ministered spirits, bringing in everything that we need to your glory and to your honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you in your giving. We're making confessions a lot this morning, but That's what we're supposed to do. The Bible says, hold fast to your confession. Say it with me. God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is my God. You know, Paul said, my God shall supply. God is your personal, my provider. Amen? Amen. You know, the amazing thing about God is uh, He wanted to be called the God of people. He's the Almighty, but He also is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that mean, that He wants to be called the God of Abraham? Well, that means He's the God of another person, and that He wants a personal relationship with us. Can you say, man, He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wants personal interaction between those who He is the God of. Say it with me. He's my God, my Savior, my Provider, my Sustainer. He is my everything. So God don't need to be aloof, a distant concept, God is personal and near. Amen. God wants to be right in the middle of your life, and He wants you right in the middle of Him. He said, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I'll come in to him, and he and I will sup together. God wants... That's why we're here on the earth as human beings because God wanted someone to fellowship with. Can you say man? One uh, denomination's uh, declaration of faith in regard to water baptism I think is very scriptural and very accurate. Uh, They said in their uh, tenets of faith, we believe that water baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, according to the command of our Lord, is a blessed outward sign of an inward work. A beautiful and solemn emblem reminding us that even as our Lord died upon the cross of Calvary, so we reckon ourselves now dead indeed to sin and the old nature that's the sin nature, nailed to the tree with Him, and that even as He was taken down from the tree and buried, so are we buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Can you say amen? I believe that is very scriptural and very accurate. How many are familiar with 2 Corinthians 5.17? What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? It says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Amen? Uh, How many knows if I take a trip to say... New Mexico and you get in the cab of my vehicle if I go you go well we were in him when he went to the cross we died when he died the old man and then he became sin with our sin but when he was raised from the dead we were raised up with him we're in union with him not the outer man, Uh, you know, if any man be in Christ, just a couple of verses above it, it says, though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is renewed day by day. So the outward man doesn't change when we receive Christ. If you've got brown eyes, your eyes didn't turn blue, or if you had uh, family ears, you still got family ears, (laughs) right? The outward man didn't change, right? Right? What changed was the inner man, the real you, the spirit man that lives within the body. So when we accepted Christ, this new, the man on the inside became a brand new creation. And the old man died and so baptism is a symbol and it's an emblem of the old man dying to sin on the cross in death, being buried but out of that comes a new creation. And so the Bible says that baptism is actually a funeral drama and a resurrection drama. How do you depict our death in Christ? We're under the water, buried with Him in death, but we depict the resurrection by being raised with Him to newness of life. Can you say amen? So baptism is an act of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an act of love or devotion for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's identifying with Him. It's an opportunity to publicly proclaim our faith that we believe that Jesus is our Lord. And it's symbolic and strengthens our identification with Him in redemption. Can you say amen? So the Lord told us to uh, practice the New Testament ordinance of water baptism. So uh, if y'all are ready, the baptistry, we're uh, going to uh, baptize, let's see, Hayden and Allie and Alexis uh, this morning. Uh, All girls, all young. Won't y'all sit down right here? And uh, these girls are full of vim and vigor and vitality this morning. So, this is a special time in the parents' life as well as our church family's life. How many believe in these kids? I believe in these kids that they're great kids and that their witness for Christ is great and that they are going to live on fire for God all their life. And God uh, is going to glorify himself in their lives. And uh, so they're going public this morning. They're not closet Christians. They're going public this morning that they love Jesus. And they've trusted Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. Can you say amen? So uh, praise God, we're going to participate and rejoice with them in this this morning. Let's give all these kids and their families a hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for these little ones. Lord, we pray and speak over them that you will keep them from the evil one and from his plan for their life. Uh, We speak blessings. We speak your direction uh, that the Holy Spirit guides them and protects them. And we thank you, Father, that their consciences and their heart is always near and uh, trusting in you and that they fulfill your plan and purpose for their life, that every need is met by your divine provision. And we call them blessed and strong to live for you in a dark world for your glory and honor and praise and be the salt of the earth and the city that's set on a hill. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Praise God.